This is exactly right. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host. And let me tell you about Parent Footprint and what we believe. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same, to seek happiness, health, and engagement in their own lives. We firmly believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children and our grandchildren. Today's show is called No One Can Take Your Joy with Polo Tate. And I'm going to tell you about this amazing person, Polo. Growing up, Polo used her academic aptitude and athletic prowess to earn appointments to both the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. She decided to go to the Air Force Academy out of high school, where she played varsity volleyball in the Western Athletic Conference, most of us know as the WAC. Uh, she left her second year after a harrowing journey and experience, which we're going to hear about this morning. Um, and this is all written about in a very honest and dynamic debut memoir called Deep Dark Blue. After Polo left the Air Force, she restarted her career at the University of Notre Dame, played volleyball, and eventually graduated with a BA in film, television, and theater. And lo and behold, Polo's now an actor, author, writer, and comedian performing all over New York and L.A. She is a passionate public speaker with a mission for all to see, feel, and understand their own self-worth, empowerment, and value. And we think of her as a modern-day Renaissance woman. Uh, she has huge talent. She has huge energy. And the thing that you're going to hear about Polo today is that she loves people and loves every moment of living to the fullest and not letting anyone take her joy away, which is one of our huge messages. Polo, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. So I know you've you're telling your story a lot. You've told your story a lot, and your story is so important. And um, I was thinking that I could lead in with it, but it's the more I've heard you tell it, I think it's way more powerful coming from you. So please tell our audience this harrowing experience and how how this puts you on this journey um, of joy and spreading the word of resilience and health and um, standing up for what's right. So true. Heroin is a good word. <laughs> um, I was born and raised in Lansing, Michigan. My family has really deep ties to the community. My great-great-grandfather was R.E. Olds, who was a prolific inventor. Among other things, he invented the car, the Osmobile, uh, the assembly line. Um, many the car. That he invented the, car. <laughs> the automobile. Wow. Okay. <laughs> the internal combustion uh, engine. And he was amazing. And that brought our family to Lansing, Michigan, where my parents were born and raised and I was born and raised. Um, lost my sister in a horseback riding accident at the age of seven. Hmm. She was 10. Oh, wow. And 
for her being my only sibling, the focus was immediately on me as the only surviving child. And I took that focus and not wanting to ever see my parents that sad again, I pushed myself and became driven, which I was innately anyway, um, and and interested in going to a service academy and serving my country in going into the FBI. So at the age of 11, I pressed my dream into a pair of aluminum alloy dog tags, and I declared that I wanted to be in the Air Force someday. And upon research, I decided to go to a service academy because this was the elite of the elite, the cream of the crop around the country of well-rounded people, students, future officers. It was the highest pinnacle that you could reach within each service. And so I had a four-point GPA in high school, National Honor Society. I played three varsity sports all four years of high school. I got a senatorial nomination and a, and a, a nomination from the House of Representatives for both the West Point and the Air Force Academy. And I decided to play volleyball for and attend the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. And Top Gun also made this look really good, right? Top Gun, yes. In fact, my my first basketball coach for club ball actually wrote Top Gun. And he was like a surrogate father to me. And (laughs) so we used to watch it before every game. And even though it was, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? It helped us. uh, I believe we took the, we took regionals that year. We went far into the national championship that year. Um, It was fabulous and so motivating. And it, it sort of hit me in the heart that here were these, this group of people who used their physicality, their academic prowess. They were well-rounded in every single way and worked so hard. So even though it was a Hollywood movie, I of course did the research because this place existed. And though I didn't want to go into the Navy, the Air Force was the, was the best decision for me. So you were driven in all ways. You achieved at high levels in all ways. You reached your goal. You chose the Air Force Academy. And there you are doing your thing, living your dream. Yes, living my dream. Um, Basic training was incredible. It was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. It was completely physical, completely academic, total immersion, breaking you down as a civilian and building you back up into a soldier. And I met my teammates who were going to be my volleyball teammates for the year. And we started bonding. Everything was going extremely well. I was doing very well in basic. I was not staying under the radar, but being, but the things that I did put me in the limelight in a good way. Um, it was the beginning of what my high school career had been, which was, which was stellar and good feeling and an amazing experience until I met our team captain for our volleyball team. And instead of mirroring a relationship that I had in high school with the best athlete in our tri-state area who had taken me under her wing and sort of was the best athlete bringing up the next potential best and really uh, coaching me and 
and guiding me and leading me to become the leader once she was gone. I met our team captain for the Air Force Academy and, and little did I know that she was damaged in her own right and was slowly isolating me from the rest of the team, from the rest of my squadron. And eventually our relationship culminated in her attacking me while I slept and, and eventually sexually assaulted me and left me broken on the verge of, of total destruction. And then three weeks later, a male cadet came into my room while I was alone, locked my door and brutally attacked and raped me to keep me silent about the first attack. And from then it was a nosedive, absolute spiral into self-destruction, into academically failing, uh, socially trying to maintain my jovial self, but not being able to. It ended up becoming a life and death situation that I narrowly survived. How did you? <sighs> During a disassociative PTSD episode, another teammate of mine who happened to be in my squadron and my superior, she was a year older, came in and was like, what is going on with you? You used to be this incredible cadet. You haven't been going to class. You haven't been off of bed rest. You've been vomiting and going downhill. What is wrong? And in my disassociative state, I told her about the first attack. And she, of course, feeling that responsibility as my older teammate and friend, she took that to our chain of command and an investigation started. And while at the time I thought that saying something was pulling the pin on the grenade that was going to explode my life and explode my team's life and my squadron's life and my Air Force life and my future, it was the one thing that disrupted my pattern and fear and threats that were coming at me from all different directions. It disrupted that so that I was then finally able to sort of jump on the path to healing and to really surviving rather than total destruction. How long were you in this secretive place just holding on before this came out before you had a voice close to three quarters of my first year my freshman year mm. it's pure pure survival right just pure survival pure survival and it's you know it's amazing what we can survive and it's amazing what we feel is our fault what we feel is our responsibility especially in that solitary confinement of our circumstance, that total isolation wherein you don't realize other people have gone through something similar. You don't realize that there are voices uh, to whom you can reach out. You don't feel safe in any place, physically or mentally, socially, militarily. It's a scary, lonely place. And as we well know now, 
there have been so, so many people who have been in that space. Mm -hmm. So you go through recovery, um, you're refining yourself, right? You're picking up the pieces, you are moving on, you continue to follow your path and your, um, I would say, would revised dreams um, after that mm. experience going on to Notre Dame. And um, how was your healing process? And, and, and what about the process can you share um, for those who are listening who have been through similar circumstances? You know, what, what, what is important for people to know? It's, that question is everything, right? It's, it's 100% why I personally chose to write my memoir is because my my first line of defense at the time especially was not to talk about what had happened. I couldn't even process what had happened. I was in survival mode just to survive everything that had happened in my my situation being at the academy especially and after I left the academy my first line of defense was to write. You know, it's it's hard to even hear words outside of your mind because it makes it more real in a certain way. So rather than find somebody and confide in them, remember too that I had come from a place where I had a security clearance. I didn't know what I could say, what I couldn't say. I definitely didn't, you know, I, I had deep love and reverence for the Air Force Academy, for all the branches of the service. Um, for our country. And the last thing I wanted to do was put any of that in jeopardy and reveal something that I, I shouldn't have. So I wrote and I ended up getting everything out on paper so that I could sort of sort through this experience that I'd had and, and sort through my emotions and what was my responsibility and what was not my responsibility and, and figure out for myself how to survive it. And I, I sought to get it published so that anybody else who has gone through similar things, who has experienced loss, violation, betrayal, negative emotion, they know that I am living proof that we can survive anything, that there is there comes a point that we need to take responsibility for our own lives and our own emotions and by any means necessary get that toxicity and that darkness out of you out of your body physically whether it be through being creative writing speaking to a therapist speaking to a, a trusted friend anything to get that out and then you can start actually processing it and in terms of survival, once I was able to get it out on paper, then I was able to finally sort through what had happened, where I allowed myself to be sort of pulled away from the shore into this seduction of grooming by somebody who I thought was a trusted friend, who I was my superior in every way, and who I wanted to learn from supremely. So that was my that was my starting point of how did that happen? How did I move away from my guidance system, my innate 
knowledge of what feels good and what doesn't feel good for myself? Where did I misstep in ignoring that? And that was my in. Mm-hmm. Well, and that also makes me think of um, the signs, you know, in hindsight, but also the trends we see in people who are sexual predators and who are ultimately dangerous people. Um, yes. You know, there there are, it, it's how do we feel when we feel off, but what are these signs to look for when we're around these people who are isolating us and slowly starting to manipulate us? And, you know, how, what can you say about what are those things to look for? I think it's so important to, first of all, I love the fact that we can have this conversation and I'm so appreciative of you, uh, especially in your, in your focus and emphasis on awareness, because that is everything. We, all we have is our internal guidance system. And we all have those moments where we have red flags, those little hairs on the back of our neck that stand up that say, mm, something doesn't feel right here. Right. I'm not sure I'm comfortable not saying anything about what they've asked me to keep quiet about. I'm not sure that I want to go with them. You know, I'd rather take this turn as opposed to walk down this dark alley. We all have that guidance system. And of course, the best thing for parents to do and the best thing for us to do for ourselves is to really allow space to cultivate that and to allow children not to question it and not to forego that guidance system for maybe a suggestion by anybody else, including a parent, but to really cultivate that um, relationship that you have with yourself and your inner self and your higher self, all of those elements of awareness that we are innately born with. And when something trips those sensors, then to actually listen to it and to really feel valid and worthy and accepting enough of yourself to listen to it. Right. What you feel is valid. Those little hairs on the back of your neck, they're there for a reason. You're not, you know, as for me, especially being a people pleaser growing up, I, I never wanted to see anybody sad or cry. I had been through the worst of what any family could, could go through in losing a child. And the last thing I wanted to do was to, was to bring that pain or sadness and see it in my parents or those around me. So at any cost, especially at my own, to my own detriment, I would make sure that everybody else was okay before I was, which automatically just kicks that innate guidance system that we have to the side in service of somebody else. And right there, you've got a dissonance inside so that you're not listening to yourself. You don't think that your feelings and emotions and, and guidance is as valid as making sure others are okay. And I, I think maybe a lot of women feel this way, uh, as well, just in terms of taking care of a family, if they have children, if they have a household to run, etc. So it's really important to, to first establish that you are worthy and absolutely it, it is imperative that you listen to your own inner being and your own inner guidance. And from then, hurt people hurt people. 
if you are with somebody and you are cultivating a relationship with somebody and you feel their pain, they talk about their pain, they you see them in situations where they are foregoing you for the sake of to feed their own either destructive tendencies or to to make themselves feel better at your expense that's a huge red flag that they're not ready to have a relationship that's healthy mhm and i really like the whole message here in your response about it's really you know when i w- when i was initially asking about the predator it's really about trusting oneself and listening to oneself because we do know when something is not right and how do we have the courage to trust ourselves and our use, listen to our own voice it's so true and and you realize that there are predators everywhere there is no there is no environment that you can sterilize that you won't meet damaged hurt people that they won't be around or allowed in or there's no you know you can't wrap your children lovingly in bubble wrap and send them out into a negative free world you know there are always going to be people who are hurt people and the only thing that we have control over is ourselves and and the only thing that that is truly bankable that we can rely on every single time that we have a relationship with that will not forsake us is our own inner self and that's the that's the first relationship that you truly have to cultivate and honor before you try to turn that externally and and figure out who are safe people and who are not safe people. Mm-hmm. You know, you said uh, you said something that I was going to. I'm really glad you brought this up because I think it's one of your many uh, profound statements: is hurt people hurt people. And um, I was reading in your Thrive Global piece uh, called Battle Cry, No One Can Take Your Joy. And I love uh, the subtitle, I Survived Sexual Abuse in the Air Force Academy. I am not a victim. I am a victor. Um, That's so powerful. And in that piece, you said, I'm going to quote you, if hurt people hurt people, then let us be the ones to stand up now to heal and help. If hurt people hurt people, then healed people heal people. Whole people help people. Ooh, you just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> and that is so that's so powerful, and as you know, so aligned with our mission at Parent Footprint, which is, I mean, this is so synergistic because hurt kids grow up to be hurt parents who hurt kids who then repeat the cycle over and over and over again. So true. And I think that goes so far past just physical abuse. It goes so far past just the outward signs that we are trained to look for or that may be more extreme. That is emotional. That is patterns of not taking responsibility for your actions and your thoughts and your beliefs. That is unresolved things that we all have from perhaps our childhood, our teenagehood, our adulthood that we haven't worked through, that we pass along. And it it does such a disservice to those around us, not just our children, but our family unit. And first and foremost, of course, ourselves. And the silver lining of all this is 
we have a choice. We have a choice to look at our lives, to look at what's working in our life and what isn't working and to address it and to bring it out into the light and to do the work to really work through that and, and heal ourselves in such a way that we create an environment that is healthy and whole and friendly and an atmosphere that is, that cultivates creativity and wherein people feel valued and valid and worthy. And we have a choice. And I think it's so important that that's acknowledged because it brings the power right back where it should be, which is inside each of us. And this takes us to the title of the show, which is one of your one of your rallying cry messages is no one can take your joy. Hmm. And, and you I love that one. <laughs> right? And you and this was that was something that was important to you earlier in your life. And then you had to find that again, that 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 courage to no one can take my joy. Well said. Yes. And it's a journey. This is, we're all on a journey. It's not like, uh, <laughs> it's not like a certification where you get it once and you're done for life. <laughs> this is a, a lifelong journey and it ebbs and it flows and you can get more facile with knowing what it takes for you personally to find your joy. What, what allows you to to feel good on a real level and and being honest and upfront with yourself i was i was told this by an angelic woman who knelt down beside my little child body at at 7 years old after my sister had been killed and she said no one can take your joy and i remember getting goosebumps as a child though i i wasn't exactly sure and certainly not to the depths that I understand it now and have used it in my life now, but I knew it was poignant and I knew it was profound mm -hmm. and I got goosebumps all over my body. And, and it's because no one can take your joy without your consent. Nobody can reach inside of your soul and create in your world. They can't do it. It's not possible, but you can allow others to influence your happiness. You can give permission for other people to take your joy and your life at, at certain times in terms of your healthy attitude, your happiness, all of those beautiful qualities that to which we aspire. It only can, you can only relinquish control if you give your consent. So if you could offer one piece of advice or wisdom to those listening who are dealing with uh, significant adversity, who may have had abuse, assault experiences in their life, what, what is one thing that you would say to them? First and foremost, I think it's important to note that if you are in an acutely dangerous situation, and I mean danger coming from somebody else or from yourself, there are absolutely resources that you need to reach out to as soon as possible. And 
among other places, I've listed um, beautiful ones in the back of my book, uh, really incredible organizations that will help you immediately. And it's important to, to acknowledge that if you're in a dangerous situation, please, please get help, get help now. Mm-hmm. And I would say the most important thing that I learned, and this is coming from the depths of despair, and I can tell you this with the utmost certainty, this I know to be true, is that you are worthy, you are surrounded by love, you are not alone. There are other people, myself included, who have gone through situations like this, who have been brutally violated, who have experienced the worst violation and violence that can seemingly be humanly possible. And you can make it out the other side. And you can make it out the other side with a relationship with yourself that is better than at any other point in your life. And the first thing that you need that really helps to do is to ask yourself how you feel and to answer honestly. Put your hand over your heart, ask yourself how you feel and start establishing a lexicon for your emotions so that you can acknowledge them and bring them out into the light and finally deal with them. You know, sometimes we just need to stop and say, I don't feel well. I don't feel good. I am struggling. I am feeling low and hurt and violated and betrayed. And if you can start attaching a lexicon to those things, you have started the process of being able to sort them out and heal. And I know it sounds antithetical to to really shine a spotlight into your darkest corners, the darkest recesses of your of your mind and your heart, but I'm telling you only monsters grow in the dark and they grow big. If you shine that light, you're actually able to, to really start healing and to really start what it takes to, to deal with the trauma that you've been through. And we can't change anything that we don't acknowledge. So it starts there. Wonderful. I'm going to repeat a few things you said. Um, you are worthy, you are surrounded by love, and you are not alone. And I hope everyone out there can hear that. All right, Polo, it is time for the parent footprint moment question. (laughs) You are going to be answering it in relation to your parents. And so that question is, tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself in relation to your parents or your parents in relation to you. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life such a good question and bear with me because I'm going to bring it back around but <laughs> it was actually the moment that my sister was killed and you think that when you're born and you're a child and you're looking at your parents you think that they can protect you from anything they created this world that you're living in they are they hung the moon they hung the stars And in a moment, that belief was shattered. And it was one of the best things that I could have ever had happen. And that is, we're all responsible for ourselves. 
and yes, we come through our parents and, and our parents have such a huge influence in guiding us and feeding us and clothing us and keeping us safe to the extent that they can. But ultimately, it is our responsibility to make sure that we are happy and healthy and whole. And for me to be able to learn that early on only served me. It allowed me to absolve my parents of that responsibility that somehow it was Mm. their fault that I didn't live a happy life or it was their fault that uh, I had experiences with people who were damaged and violent and brutal. And that's not at all true. I love my parents dearly. And none of that was their responsibility or their fault. And the moment that you realize that, you take all of your power back and you take all of that empowerment and you create your life. And I think it's, it's such a beautiful lesson that is encased in something that may not be societally acceptable, but it was one of the best and biggest lessons of my life. You had awareness. You were forced to have awareness at a very early age, profound awareness. Yes. And only as we look back and we piece all of the, uh, all of the, connect all of the dots, do we see that, you know, all of our experiences seem to create and make who we are today. Lovingly so, happily so. Yes. So, Polo, you are, uh, you are an inspiration. You are a hero. Um, and I know you are a hero to many around the country in the movements that uh, you are t- continuing to take a strong voice in, that we all support in the Me Too movements and the other related movements. And um, really, um, you talked about shining, shining a light, you know, shining a... Um, a huge spotlight, a opening premiere movie spotlight on um, mm-hmm. on abuse, on assault, on healing, on courage, um, and on hope. So thank you for all you're doing, and please tell everyone where they can follow um, your, your voice, your words, and what you're doing. Wow. Thank you for that. That was incredible. And, and please let me return the the sentiment wholeheartedly. Awareness is everything. And I adore the fact that you have carved out space to really talk about that, especially from a parental standpoint, especially from a standpoint of a child, because we all are one or the other, if not both. Right. You can find me at polotate.com and you can read everything that I've been doing. We have upcoming events. Anything that you would like to share, you can share on polotate.com. And I would love to see you there. Polo, thank you for uh, such a meaningful discussion. Um, and uh, you have positively impacted me. I'm taking everything to heart and I'm going to spread it to my clients, my family, and my community. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Right back. All right, everyone. This concludes our show for today. You know where to find us at www.parentfootprint.com. Continue to be the person you want your child to become. Continue to listen to your voice, your inner voice. Cultivate that relationship with your inner voice as Polo has taught us this morning. Trust yourself. 
be the person you want your child to become. And always, always, always ask yourself this question to cultivate awareness. What footprint do you want to leave?